This reading is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to humankind in other generations, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Good morning and welcome again to Little Tea. My name is Karen Isaacs. I am really delighted to be here with you this morning. Let's pray. O love that moves the sun and stars, reveal yourself to us in the written word and through the spoken word, that we may behold your living word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I love stars. I grew up three miles outside a very small town, two hours north of Winnipeg, Manitoba, which means that there was almost no light pollution and the sight of the night sky was incredible. We were far enough north that in the summer it didn't get very dark until well past my bedtime. But in winter, the display of the stars and the band of the Milky Way stretching across the sky was breathtaking. My father knew a bit about astronomy, and so he taught me and my siblings how to recognize the major constellations. And it was something of a comfort to me, and it still is, that I could always look up and find the Big Dipper and find where it pointed to the North Star and orient myself in the world. Today we have a magnificent story in front of us, one that you may be very, very familiar with. Or maybe it's relatively new to some of you the story of wise men looking up, seeing a star, and orienting themselves in the world. It's a passage that is traditionally read every 6th of January on the Feast of the Epiphany, which we're celebrating today. And as Tim said, Epiphany is both a day and a season in which the church worldwide dwells on the stories of the eternal God making himself known in the action and persons of Jesus Christ. And this story of the wise men and the star is a wonderful and challenging epiphany story because it not only shows the revelation of God to humanity, but it shows how God invites everyone on this journey of looking up, of seeing the signs of God and of orienting themselves in a new way. And so today we're going to explore the story a little bit, both from the point of view of the wise men and of Herod, and we'll ask why Matthew included it in his gospel. He was the only one to do so. And what impact all of this may have on our faith as we seek to follow Jesus. So first, the wise men. For those who have been going to church a very long time, 
Familiarity may make it easy to tune out the details of this story, many of which we could probably quote from memory. And for those for whom the story is fresh, it's tempting to get lost in the details. Often a central part of pageants and Christmas cards, we see three wise men, and always three, wearing magnificent robes and golden crowns and holding boxes filled with treasure. And the pageantry of it all is fascinating. And we find ourselves trying to picture it and wondering so many things. Like, how on earth is it that a far-off star could point to an individual house? And what was this star? Was it a shooting star? Was it a conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter, as some astronomers have supposed? Was it Halley's Comet, which flew by about 12 BC, and it's not quite the right timeline, but who knows, maybe it's close enough? Or was it even an angel, as some ancient commentators have wondered? Or we find ourselves debating the exact number of the wise men, and whether their names really were Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior, as tradition tells us. And did the three gifts mean that there were exactly three of them, or was it a larger entourage filled with many wise men and camels and servants? Where exactly in the East were they coming from? Arabia? Many scholars suggest this. Maybe somewhere else. And were they kings, as the song We Three Kings depicts? Or were they court scholars, perhaps? Or even Zoroastrian priests, as the word magi would lead us to believe that's where the word magi originates. Or maybe we get caught up in wondering exactly when the wise men appeared. Would they have been there around the time of the shepherds, like right at the manger with them, as the pageants and Christmas cards usually show? Or given that Mary and Joseph were in a house and Herod gave a two-year window based on when the star appeared, maybe Jesus was a toddler running around by the time the wise men showed up. And maybe he was really excited by the gold boxes and things. And what about those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Gold was mined in Arabia, and both frankincense and myrrh were grown there. So were these three gifts simply what was common to give to royalty at that time? Or were they chosen, whether consciously or unconsciously in some divine providence, as symbols of the life of Jesus? Gold for his kingship. Incense for his divinity, and myrrh for his death. So many questions. So many things we don't know, and so many wonderful things to ponder. But in the midst of all this pageantry and fascination and imagining and questioning, it's easy to miss two key things about this story. Matthew's reason for including the story in the first place, which we'll get to in a little bit, and the wise men's ultimate response to the revelation of God that they had been given. And they weren't given very much. They studied the stars. It was what they did. And so when a, a star appeared somewhere in the east, telling of a king born to the Jewish people, it must have been a significant enough sign that they decided they needed to meet him and honor him. So they loaded up for the journey, and they went naturally to Jerusalem, the headquarters of the Jewish nation, where anyone might expect to meet a king. And they did. They met a king. King Herod was there. But he wasn't who they were looking for. And imagine King Herod's confusion and then rage as an entourage shows up from a foreign nation looking for a newly born king and dismissing him entirely. 
leaving him seething and fearful for his own security on the throne, the wise men blithely are led on by the star to the small nearby town of Bethlehem, where they are overjoyed to find an ordinary house filled with ordinary people and a young child who looks like any other child. And here's their response. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And here's the phrase that we often miss in the midst of all the other details. And they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. We don't know who these wise men were. We don't know exactly what their profession was. We don't know where exactly they were from. But we know that they were from somewhere far away. And we know that it was their business to study the stars. And so they saw the sign in the course of their ordinary study, in their ordinary lives, doing what they always do. And they knew that it was something that they wanted to explore further. They could have chosen to ignore it. They could have chosen just to avoid the long journey. Why bother going to a distant country with a king that isn't even their own king to worship? But they chose instead to take a risk and to leave their homeland and to go on this long journey to track down the source and figure out what it meant. Because their studies had told them that a great king had been born. And so they followed their instinct. They followed their call and the pull of their hearts and went searching for him. And these wise men, upon entering this ordinary house and finding this ordinary-looking child, drop everything, and they fall prostrate on the ground in front of this little boy. They know that in this child, they have come face to face with something, with someone extraordinary, someone who deserves all that they have to offer, not just any king, but one to be worshipped. They didn't have all the data, all the theological knowledge. They probably didn't know much, if anything, about the promises of a Messiah, or even about the gods that the Jews worship. They had no idea that this child would grow up to offer his life for the salvation of the entire world, including themselves, or that a cross would be his eventual throne. They probably didn't have a clue that this child was God incarnate, the creator of the universe made flesh. But they knew enough. They knew that they had been led to him by a heavenly sign and that he was the king. And so they fell on their knees before him and they became the first Gentiles ever to worship the Christ. And that's what we celebrate today on the Feast of the Epiphany, this amazing, glorious revelation of God to the Gentiles and not just to the Gentiles, to everybody in the entire world, making himself known to humanity in the presence of Jesus Christ. But this story of the wise men is not just a story of some of the first people to worship Jesus. It's also a story of the first people to turn away. The Jewish people had been given revelations as well, and much more detailed revelations than the wise men had. Over the centuries, their prophets had spoken to them of one who was to come, who would rescue them from oppression and from their sins. 
They had been waiting for this Messiah for a very long time. And so when this entourage shows up from a foreign nation looking for the one born king of the Jews, King Herod, the current ruler of the Jewish people, jumped to the conclusion that it was the Messiah himself that they were looking for. Matthew chapter 2 verse 3 says this, when Herod the king heard this, that they were looking for the king of the Jews, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod was the first to realize that this baby was actually the long-awaited Messiah. And so with the help of the scribes and the priests, when the wise men inquired of him where to find the child born king of the Jews, he could have gone with them. He could have, in fact, led them to Bethlehem. And he could have gone down in history as the king who announced the arrival of the Messiah. But he was afraid. He was afraid of what the coming of the Messiah might mean for him. The loss of his throne and the loss of his identity. You see, Herod had been granted his rule from the Roman Senate over 30 years before Jesus was born. And because of that, he had no legal Jewish claim to the throne at all. He wasn't even fully a Jew. And so his entire life was spent not only ruling, but trying to secure his own throne by eliminating any possible threat. First killing a brother-in-law, then his wife Miriamne, several more extended relatives, and finally killing three of his own sons. He was so caught up in trying to protect his identity as king of the Jewish people that he had forgotten who they were in the first place. A people called by God to be a light to the nations, the people of God. And so for Herod, the arrival of the Messiah didn't mean joy, it meant fear. It meant the potential loss of his identity, the one thing he held dear. And in response to the revelation, instead of leading the wise men to Bethlehem, instead of recognizing or experiencing the joy and honor of being the first king to recognize the Messiah, and to announce him to the Jewish people, instead of falling on his knees in worship and receiving a new identity in Christ, Herod ordered a massacre, a slaughter, of all the young children in the neighborhood, hoping that the long-awaited-for Messiah would be caught up in that slaughter and disposed of, all so that he could remain king. So we have Herod, and we have the wise men, and together we have these two drastically different responses to the revelation of God. One, fear and violence, and the other, worship and joy. And this is one reason that Matthew included this story in his gospel in the first place, to set out the scene for what was to come, to lay out the choice before his readers. How would they respond to Jesus? Would they respond like Herod, or would they respond like the wise men? But there's another reason that Matthew included this story. He wrote his gospel mainly for a Jewish audience. And so he takes care through the entire gospel to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. 
But he also wants to show how Jesus is good news, not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world, regardless of background, race, religion, occupation, or status. Everyone, all are invited to know him, to experience his love for each of us, and to fall on our knees before him. It can be easy, especially for people who have been Christians a long time, like myself, to figure that we've got a handle on God, that we've got this Christianity thing more or less figured out. And consciously or subconsciously, we start putting limits on God, on how he acts, on who he reveals himself to, on how he speaks to them, and when and where. And we can lose our sense of wonder at this God of wonders, who literally moved the stars in order to reveal himself to people across the world. A God who searches people out everywhere and meets them exactly where they are in the course of their ordinary lives, the course of their ordinary jobs, and reveals himself to them as the God who made them and who loves them. And so what about us? Once we move past all this pageantry and all the details of this story, we're left with a story about the character of God. A God who goes so far beyond the borders of expectation to find the people he loves and to show them enough of himself that they might be struck with wonder and follow him in return. A God who meets them, who meets all of us here today in our daily occupations and our preoccupations and our fears and hopes and longings and who shows us over and over again who he is, the love that moves the sun and the stars to draw us to himself. And in this story, we're given the same choice as the wise men and as Herod. How do we respond? What do we do with this God who in his revealing disrupts our daily rhythms, who calls us out places that we may not normally go? who asks us to examine our carefully self-crafted identities, who teaches us that love means always reaching out beyond the borders of expectation. Do we, with Herod, react with fear? Do we close down in self-protection and not risk being changed? Or do we, with the wise men, take that risk and follow our self-giving, self-revealing God of love into the wild, into the places that we don't know and don't understand, the places far beyond the borders of expectation to show love. As we enter this new year, may we each be open to the revelation of God, wherever he may show himself. And may we take that risky step of faith in following him. May we, in turn, be found with the wise men in the presence of Jesus and fall on our knees before him and worship. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.